0: Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello everyone and welcome again to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. The podcast that not only hopefully helps you find your finish line at a race or an event, But in life, I talk with people who have jumped over all kinds of hurdles to get to where they are today. And those hurdles sometimes are tough to get through, but when they do jump over them, they've got great stories to tell and hopefully those will motivate you. And today that is just one of those stories that is one of the best. She was deployed in Iraq in 2004 with the US Army, became the first female American soldier to lose a limb in active combat when her vehicle was hit by a roadside bomb. First Lieutenant, excuse me, First Lieutenant Melissa Stockwell was honored with a purple heart, a bronze star, and she made a promise to not let losing her leg slow her down. Hello, Melissa, how are you?
1: Hi there, I am great. I am super excited to be on here with you today, so thanks for having me.
0: Uh, yeah, my pleasure. S- Melissa, first off, did that promise you make you made, to your, was it to yourself or was it to someone else? Was it to your family? Who was that promise to?
1: I'd say that promise was more to myself. Um, but I think it kind of carried over into family, friends, kind of anyone who, who was watching on. But it was kind of to myself. And honestly, for those, you know, maybe soldiers who did lose more than one leg, that did get that ultimate sacrifice and wanting to just kind of live my life for them as well.
0: Did you ever want to go back into service into combat? after that?
1: so when i so when I was injured, um it was early on in the war in the Iraq war at least um in two thousand and four. and as an above the knee amputee, it was it was rare to actually go back or to stay in in the military. So um all these years later it's it's actually pretty common. Other mm-hmm. soldiers had been back and deployed over <clears throat> excuse me over to a, over to a war with their amputation but at that time it was pretty unusual so so I it, it crossed my mind but I kind of thought I could do more um, in the civilian world so I chose to kind of get out of the military got a medical retirement um, but things have changed a lot obviously in the last you know eight, 18 years which is crazy and, and a lot of people do stay in
0: I, I know you know I, especially, you've got you've got two beautiful children, Melissa. And isn't it amazing how the time when you say eighteen years, and I looked up when you did Ironman Arizona, I think back in two thousand and thirteen. I'm going, what the heck? It, it, everything seems like yesterday, but it's ten years or eighteen years. Isn't that crazy? I
1: know. It's crazy, and I talk about that, yeah, I talk about that Ironman um, when I speak, because I do speak to, you know, motivational-type speaking, and it's crazy when I say, 10 years ago in Ironman Arizona, I'm like, 10 years? How was that 10 years already?
0: (laughs) Well, the four years since that accident, (laughs) that that is really a short amount of time when you find yourself on the United States Paralympic team, and you're going to your very first Paralympics, uh, but... Backing up just a little bit through the recovery, because so many people have gone through some very tough times. How did you set yourself up or do you think you were set up mentally to be able to handle such a a travesty at that time?
1: Um. You know, I don't think anyone ever ex- expects it, right? Like, I obviously, if you would have told me 20 years ago, like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna go to a war and you're gonna lose a leg," I would have thought, like, "No, no way, that's not gonna happen." So, like, you never expect things like that to happen, but but they do, and they honestly, they happen to all of us all the time. Not a, maybe not a roadside bomb, but things that we can't control. I mean, COVID was obviously one of those. So, um, you know, I think you're never really set up for it, and it's not really until it happens, do you realize that you actually can, like like we can get through it. We don't give ourselves enough credit on the things that we're capable of doing. So, um, you know, I think, I was I ready for it? Probably not, but by, you know, I surrounded myself with a good team, tried to keep that positive attitude. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of choose to wake up every day and to get through it, and then you can kind of end up sometimes even better, you know, on the other side of those things that you don't expect.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that because I love your comment. You know, you've accomplished, <laughs> you believe so much more in your life on one leg than you could have ever thought about accomplishing on two, which when you, when you say that, it's like, what, what are you kidding me? But, but it's absolutely true, and we'll go through that. But four years later, you did find yourself as the flag bearer in the Paralympics in, in 2008 in Beijing, you competed in in swimming. Take us through that when all of a sudden you qualified for the team and you're carrying the flag in the <laughs> Olympics for the United States of America.
1: Uh, amazing. So, yeah, almost four years. to the, So I'm, I qualified for the team um, kind of almost four years to the day after losing my leg. I was a total long shot to do that. But but had a great meet um, at the trials, qualified. But then my experience in Beijing competitively was not nearly what I wanted it to be. I didn't make finals. I didn't have best time. So I was was pretty disappointed kind of in my athletic performance. But then to be nominated to carry that flag, you know, it's typically an honor that somebody who has won a bunch of medals or, you know, get. So I realized that like, as much as I wanted a medal, I wanted to be on that podium. But I realized, I think, in Beijing that it's like the journey to get someplace is sometimes even more important than the medals. And I think I realized that when my teammates did, you know, nominate me to carry that flag and to represent the entire Team USA, you know, delegation in that closing ceremony. So it was a moment. I think we have those moments that you kind of go back and relive over and over again. I imagine you've had many of them, you know, with certain people and events and um, you know, just carrying an object that I'm so passionate about, representing all of Team USA, it was it was amazing.
0: So that was the start of something pretty incredible that of a journey that you're still on because we've got Paris next year, and we'll talk about that. But after you left Beijing, and, and you know, knowing that you are a very competitive person uh, and you drive yourself, but after leaving Beijing did you have any inkling at all that, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing this every 40, I'm just going to keep doing it. This is what I want to do. This is my path. Did, did the light go on and say, well, this is my life's path, especially on the athletic side.
1: No, definitely not. <laughs> um, you know, after, so after Beijing I'm pretty disappointed athletically um, I was 28 years old at the time, and I thought, I'm so old, I'm, I am I should probably retire.
0: You're from, so from old, so old, I love that. <laughs> so, I know, at 28
1: years old, right, which is funny. Um, so, no, I kind of thought swimming, I, I enjoyed swimming, but I was kind of going to be done with swimming, wasn't quite sure the path, what was going to happen next, and that's, um, turns out, you know, less than a year later, yeah, I um, did my first triathlon and kind of set that in those gears into motion, and here I am, all these years later, um, still still doing it, and and really really loving it, and, and still very passionate about it.
0: What what turned you on to it, Melissa? Why 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 triathlon?
1: Yep. So a group called um, the Challenged Athletes Foundation, which I yeah. know you're familiar with, out of San Diego, California. So they have a group called um, Operation Rebound, which is um, kind of like a subgroup of of their foundation that is kind of for wounded veterans, for military personnel. And they all they they invite these veterans to do these triathlons. So in 2009, got a call and said, "Hey, you want to come do a triathlon out in San Diego in October?" I'm like, "Triathlon? That's crazy! Like, who wants to do a triathlon? You swim, you bike, you run. It's like the same <laughs> day, the same time." Like, i like, never. I didn't even know. What a, I hardly even knew what a triathlon was." But I loved to swim. I had recently gotten got a prosthetic leg for running. I had never really been on a bike um, before, but I had a bike. So I'm like, you know, I'll just go and get this a shot. So I remember I swam, I biked, I had a guide with me on the bike that would like, he actually helped push me up the hills. Um, <laughs> but I crossed that finish line in La Jolla with that, mm-hmm. with Challenge Athletes Foundation. And I mean, I, I, w- I was hooked, Like I loved it. I loved the camaraderie on the course. I loved the challenge of all three sports. I love that I was on the course with able-bodied athletes and as somebody with a disability, like we shared the same course, and I was um, I was hooked pretty much from from race one.
0: Yeah, I was I was there in '09, you know, announcing with Bob Babbitt, and I don't recall, you know, we we introduced everybody at the onset, uh, but I don't recall your finish because we really didn't know one another. But isn't that amazing how something like that, a, a monumental event that you thought wasn't even possible, set you in a direction that is still your direction today?
1: I know. It is pretty crazy. I will tell you probably the reason why you didn't see the finish. I think I was, I think they were actually breaking down the course. <laughs> I, like, the finish. Um, everyone was at like the after party and I was still out there. It took me a while. Um, but it was, you're right. Like I, you know, I thought triathlons were crazy. Why would I ever do a triathlon? And here I am like, I think I, I think I really love this. And set me on a a path I never even knew existed, honestly.
0: And then the triathlon at the Paralympics in 2016 when Melissa Stockwell comes home with a medal. In your wildest dream, when you're holding that bronze medal, I mean, your wildest dreams, uh, like you said, you've said on two legs, you probably wouldn't ever, you wouldn't even have been able to hold somebody else's bronze medal, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. and here you come home with one, a thrill, huh?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, it'll go down it as one of the greatest, I mean, days of of my life. It was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. So it was in Rio, sport sported triathlon. The day was September 11th. So just very meaningful to have that USA uniform on. It was a, I got a bronze medal, felt like my own gold, but my teammates got gold and silver. So it was a USA sweep on September 11th, three American flags go up, the national anthem. I have, you know, 20 family and friends there. It was, I mean, you know, just thinking about the journey from, you know, Baghdad, and then there was Beijing, and now I'm on that podium in Rio. I mean, talk about a, a journey and just, I still get chills thinking about it. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was a great documentary that you did from Baghdad to to Beijing. Are you, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the thrill and the three flags, and are you still in contact with any of your military uh, brethren uh, that you served with?
1: You know, honestly, thanks to social media, um, yes. And there's there's actually been a few times where I've been able to kind of meet up or have coffee with a few Uh. of them, Um, but you know... Yeah, that's the beauty of what we have uh, online these days—is we built to keep it to connect and keep in contact with with really and anyone that's out there. So, yeah, I um, fortunately can be can connect with a bunch of them.
0: Good. That that's that's good to hear. And then Melissa Stockwell, you decide to do an Ironman. What got into you? <laughs>
1: You're right. I don't know. I heard you might be at the finish line. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Ironman Arizona 2013. So I think at the time I, um, you know, so I was doing these elite para-athletic events and they're all sprint distance, triathlons and it's, you know, they've it's all about speed and about how fast you can go and how fast you can get to the finish line. And obviously Ironman is a very different, um, sort of animal. And I wanted, honestly, I wanted to sign up for it and do it. Cause I wanted to see, I wanted to test myself mentally. Obviously, you have to have you have to train and have that physical um, training as well. But I think Ironman can be so much more mental as well. And I wanted to kind of see if I, if I could do it. Like, was I strong enough mentally to like get to that finish line? So, signed up for it. Um, yeah, it was. I mean coming across that finish line i mean the words melissa you are an iron man said by yourself and just i had american flag overhead and Mm -hmm. you know so many doubts that day wondering if i would get to that finish line and then you finally get there and you realize oh my gosh like i i did it and you don't realize like again what you can do until you like try it and that was like a big realization for me that day
0: that was an absolute thrill and and uh Tears were flowing. I tell you that when you came across that finish line, and, and congratulations on that.
1: No, thank you. It was uh, it was a day.
0: Let's talk a little bit about life. Yeah. You know, you did a lot of training and racing without any children. <laughs> now, you know, and you, you went through some tough times with a divorce, but then found the love of your life. You've got two beautiful children. How uh, how how does mom mix it up when when you do have two kids and you you you're training for the paris olympics 2024 next year uh a little bit different huh
1: yeah it's it's very different it's um life is busy i think you know we're all busy and i always say a busy life is a good life but you put two kids in there that you know they have their own activities and they you you know you got to pick them up at school at 250 i mean it's the days are packed i drop them off at 750 i i actually just got out of the pool. I might still have some goggle lines. Um, so you kind of pack <laughs> in the the workouts. Like, like I, you know, you swim, you, you know, you do some work and then I'm going to jump on the bike as soon as we're done. And I'm going to walk the dog and I'm going to get groceries and I'm going to pick them up. So it's, um, it's very much like every hour is kind of accounted for of the day, but definitely couldn't do it on my own. I have an incredible husband, you know, he, he wants me to succeed in the things that I am passionate about. And he, uh, you know, often is, you know, here with the kids on his own for, you know, a week at a time, if I'm off traveling internationally or racing, um, you know, we have a great network of babysitters and friends. So I, you can't do it alone, that's for sure. And it's, but at the same time, like, it's it's so busy, but it's, it's so fun. Like they're eight and they're five now. So they're getting to the age where they know why I do what I do. And the hope is in Paris that they can come and, see me race and, you know, they'll actually, they'll be old enough to, to remember it. So they're a lot of my motivation on, on why I'm still racing.
0: I love that. My grandchildren, two boys are eight and five and it's amazing. It's amazing. The awareness they have, especially the eight year old and the conversations. And I I hope you do get the technical repairs because they'll remember that, uh, uh, immensely for the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, uh, Do do your kids love to show off your leg? (laughs) Have they ever done a show and tell with the leg? With the prosthetic?
1: So it's funny. So until, I think they used to think, like, when they were younger, that all moms only had one leg. I don't think I thought (laughs) that I was any different than anyone. Like, everyone just had one leg. And it wasn't until their friends started to notice. So I would drop them off Mm. at, you know, daycare. And suddenly all their friends are pointing at it. And And I remember my son, he kind of was like, wait a minute. Oh, oh, I guess not I guess she is a little bit different, you know? So then it kind of became a thing, but it never like it's just I was mom. It didn't like one leg, two legs, like it doesn't matter. I'm just mom. But now um, yes, I have gone to speak to their classes um almost every year just to kind of show the leg and um you know, show show the kids and what it can do. Um they call it my my robot leg, um, you know, their friends. And honestly, I think I I love being um I I, I love being a A parent that has something that's a little bit different, I mean, mine's obviously very visual, but it can show, honestly, like, I get to show my kids, like, firsthand that it, that we all have something like unique about us. Mine's very much more apparent, but it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. You can still like embrace that, and you can still have friends, and you can still be athletic, and you can still have big dreams, and it's like an, you can just live your life like like normal, and you just embrace what makes you different. So, um, I, I I I honestly I love it, and their friends. I love that you know they can see they can see me with the, the, do the things that I do with a prosthetic leg, and it kind of just becomes the norm. Like it's not a, it's just not a big deal
0: one of the best uh, philosophies I've ever heard and you just said it is embracing embracing what makes you different mm-hmm. uh, and and that is something that I think we all need to constantly have in our mind and you've gone through that you know almost your entire life now so so the last 18 20 years well when when the kids uh, uh, y- you know when they go through life and they're listening to their parents and their friends and their family but what do you what do you want your kids to learn from you, Melissa?
1: Um, the like resilience. I mean, we all. I feel like as parents, we all want to teach our kids things, and I have no idea if anything I ever tell them is sending in. I'm, I, I need mean, all the advice like, <laughs> I, um, I I see glimpses of it every so often, but um, I, I think probably resilience. You know that as they go about life, and I mean, I try not to be the. The one that's you know, when, if my daughter says, "Oh, I have a cut on my finger," I'm like, "Well, you know, suck it up. I don't have a leg." It's like you, you have you have to like be. It's all relative, right? Like, you have a cut on your finger, and that's a big deal. So, um, obviously, compassion, uh, but resilience. Where when things happen, you just have to kind of roll with it because there will be things that happen that you don't want to happen and that you don't expect, and that's just part part of life. So just resilience, obviously, just being a good human, being kind, being good to people. I mean, kind of things that you know. I think you want to raise your kids just to be a good, be good people and just to do good in, in the world and in general.
0: I I just I just thought of that when you said it. Oh my gosh, your poor kids, suck it up. <laughs> 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 I, I don't have a leg and you're bitching and moaning about this little scrape on your knee.
1: <laughs> well, I, mean, I, do, I don't do that. I think it, but I, but I don't, I don't do that. So it also would never, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure how that would go over.
0: Well, actually, actually, I think you, you can look forward to it. Cause when they're like 14, 16, 17 years old, you can really throw it at them. You know,
1: that will be the time, right. When they're five <laughs> and eight might be a little bit young still, but yeah, when they're teenagers, that's all they're going to hear.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it! Let's go back to your training for 2024 Paris Paralympics uh, triathlon. And when you when you schedule workouts and and get them done or not get them done, are you disappointed when you don't maybe attain your goal on a workout on a particular day?
1: You know, the older I've gotten and the more experience I've been in the sport, and honestly, with kids and realizing that everything can't always be perfect I've gotten a lot better at it I think a lot of newer athletes or I mean even athletes that have been in the sport you know five ten years you I, I used to let it get to me like you have a bad workout you're like oh no like this this workout means my training isn't working and my next race is not gonna be what I want but the older I get and the more I do if I don't hit like if I don't hit the, like yesterday I had mile repeats on the track I had four of them three were mm. great the fourth one wasn't it was okay. It wasn't great, but I kind of walked away. Like, okay, I gave it my best. I did what I could do, and next time I'm going to go back and try to hit that fourth that fourth one as well. So I think um, I, I not I'm not really as upset, honestly, really at all. I, it's kind of it comes with the territory. If you hit every one of your workouts, I don't think maybe you're not training hard enough, or it's um it's like you have to have some down workouts or some some workouts that don't go as planned to like realize like to have the good workouts mean even more, if that makes sense.
0: Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Curead Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Ironman. Curead's far infrared kinesiology tape encourages faster recovery and enhanced performance. Don't let the aches and pains of everyday training and racing slow you down. Make sure you check out all the Curead products at amazon.com, at walmart, and ironman.com. And let Curad help you find your finish line. We're speaking with Melissa Stockwell, Purple Heart recipient, bronze medalist, Paralympics, training for the 2024 Paris Paralympics competition. Uh, by the way, where are the qualifications at? Where, where are they at?
1: So for para triathlon, it's it's um it's kind of a confusing process. It's like a year long qualification period. You do a certain amount of races. You get points. Yeah. You have to be within a world ranking. So our qualification period starts July first, and I'll mm. be racing in uh, Montreal. I'll be in Paris. I'll be in Yokohama. Um, worlds are in um point uh, in Spain, Pointe Vedra. I don't know how you say that, and then. Um, so it's kind of a combination of your best three races, you get points, the points add up to a certain world ranking, and then it kind of goes from there.
0: So what's, what's your competition like?
1: Um, so my so in the Paralympics, my um, we have disability classification. So I'm I'm said, I'm the PT2 classification, which is basically severe leg impairment. And our classification is the smallest one. Um, mm. It has not a lot of growth in it. For whatever reason, female severe leg impairments worldwide are not plentiful. We we need to recruit more um, athletes. So the athletes that I'm competing against, I've been competing against, honestly, for like four, sometimes eight years. So we wow. we all know each other. We know the strengths and the weaknesses. Like we kind of know... We know exactly almost what each other can can do in the race. So it's it, it'd be nice to have some new, some new blood in there just to kind of add that excitement because when we get on that starting line, it's almost like when we get out of the swim, we kind of know where everyone's going to be. We know who we need to kind of, you know, catch on the bike and who might pass us on the run. So it's kind of this um, just kind of seeing who has a better day, really.
0: Yeah, and it's still the same. Uh, three picked with one alternate, correct?
1: For Paralympic, it's two, so we only had two. Two. I wish we had three. So we have, we have two, um, and then one. But then they have these; they're called invite slots. So actually, for both Rio and for Tokyo, I got what's called an invite slot. So my two other USA competitors in my disability classification earned their slot, but my world ranking was high enough where I got like an invite slot, basically. Okay.
0: Oh, now I understand that. Wow, that's an interesting process. yeah. Interesting process. Wow. So when uh, <clears throat> Paris comes around and uh, I have all the confidence that you're going to be on that team. Uh, can you th- does Melissa Stockwell see herself winning a gold medal?
1: I think you always have to visualize it. Right. I mean, I, if I and again, we talked about workouts, if I have a good workout and my training is like spot on, I mean, why not? Like it's like why not? I kind of waver back and forth because I it's like you there's always a a certain amount of self doubt, but then there's also needs to be a sort of like air of confidence of I why else am I doing this training day in and day out if I'm not going to go and give it everything I have to be on the top of that podium? So I think it when that when that starting line when that you know ready set when it when I start that swim, I am performing to the best of my ability. And if that make gets me on top of that podium, then, Oh gosh, I don't, in my, I don't even know what I would do. At that point. <laughs> um, but I think you, 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 that's why we do that. That's why I, that's, that's why we do what we do. Right. We're, right. we're aiming to be on that podium or aiming to be on that top spot. And that's why my days revolve around training. That's why we sacrifice time away from our family to try to make it a, make it a reality. So I love wearing the Team USA uniform, I, you know, and I to be on that podium with that uniform on. I mean, there's there's nothing nothing like it.
0: Proud, proud moments, that's for sure. Yeah, Melissa, you're a business owner with your husband on a prosthetic company. You talk about jumping into this full circle. I mean, full full tilt. Uh, tell us about that. How'd you guys get that started?
1: Yep. So my husband and so my family and I moved out to Colorado Springs so I could train at the Olympic Training Center in 2019, 2020. So both my husband and I went to school for prosthetics, so fitting other amputees with artificial limbs. And when we moved out here, my husband was kind of in, he was kind of in between jobs um, as we moved out here. And a few months after we'd been here, he kind of said, "You know, like why don't why don't we start our own business?" And starting a business is is scary. Like, can you live on it? Like, how's it gonna work? But the timing was just like, you never know unless you try that kind of mindset. So rented a place, got the equipment, early 2020, like a month before COVID hit. Mm. We, hit, oh, we um, opened our doors. Um, it's called Tolzma Stockwell Prosthetics. That's my name and his last name. And um, we have made it through COVID and are um, a thriving business. Honestly, the credit goes heavily towards my husband, Brian, but we have fit elite-level athletes. We fit the general population, orthotic devices, prosthetic devices. Um, I mean, we have helped dozens and dozens and dozens of patients kind of resume their, their normal life. So pediatrics, adults, elite athletes, injured service members, um, we kind of see them all. But it's it's been incredibly successful, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, they are expensive. How's the medical industry and the insurance industry on pain for that for, for people that need them?
1: Uh, it's tough. Um, and especially with athletic, um, like activity specific legs. So like mm-hmm. I have a prosthetic running leg that I use pretty much every day and, but a leg like that would not be covered by insurance, which is, which is crazy. Like, you, oh. like I, here I am missing a leg and I want to go and run and I can't do that without a prosthetic leg and insurance isn't going to cover it. So it depends on insurance. A lot of times they might cover, you know, 80%, sometimes 100% of a, of a everyday leg, kind of like a leg that you would, like I wake up every morning, I put my leg on and kind of my walking leg. But athletic legs, it, it's really tough. So when you come to athletes, we're, I mean, truly grateful. There's organization, like the Challenge Athletes Foundation, um, Dare to Try, Triathlon Club. There's exactly. there's these different organizations that have these grant programs you can apply for a running leg. Maybe if you're an athlete in a wheelchair and you want, um, you know, a, a, a hand cycle to bike with or a racing chair, like you can apply for these grants that are, that provide the, the, this equipment that insurance doesn't cover. So it can be really frustrating because you think insurance would want us to be active to, you know, hopefully no. hinder any future impairments because we're not active, um, so it can be frustrating for sure, but luckily we've there's different ways to kind of work around it if, if you know where to look.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and, and and Dare to Try Paratriathlon, you know, you you were a co-founder of that and obviously the Challenge Athletes Foundation, mm. two great places to start. If you've ever seen Melissa run, uh, you need to check it out on YouTube, but so many places you know, she swings her leg out wide and... The reason you do that is you don't you chew choo- you chose not to have a knee as part of your prosthetic, uh, where you you get to bend your leg. Why why was that, Melissa?
1: Yeah, it lo- so if you see me run, and you're right, I kind of swing my leg out to the side it looks so unnatural and you're like, why would she do that? (laughs) So I have, um, so every amputee has like their, what's left of their leg, um, is all different. So I only have four inches of my femur left, which is, which is pretty short. There's not a lot of Mm. bone there. There's not a lot of leverage there. And when you run with the knee, um, just the mechanics of it, the prosthetic knee has to be fully extended. So fully straight before it hits the ground, or it's going to buckle and you're going to fall. So because I have such like a short lever arm, the energy I was expending to try to get that leg completely extended, so I wouldn't fall was hindering how fast and how far I could run. Mm -hmm. So without a knee, I don't have to worry about a knee buckling. And honestly, like when you think about like are just the human body, like in the hip, like the hip is a ball, a ball joint. So I've never had any issues with, with my hip. It's kind of meant to kind of do that rotation. And it's, it's, it took me a little bit to get used to, but I can run further, faster, you know, longer than I ever could with the knee. So it's, it's very much person dependent, but I, that's the way I've chosen to go. And it's proven successful for, for me.
0: Well, it's all about faster. You know that, don't you? Yes. <laughs> All all about faster. Got to get to that finish line faster. So you came out and you wrote a book, Power of Choice. That came out at the beginning of 2020, didn't it?
1: It did. The idea was for it to come out out around the Olympics of 2020, but then that all got postponed and COVID happened. So it just kind of came out on a random day. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What was your main objective of, of putting it all down in words?
1: Yeah, so the book is called Power of Choice. And um, so I, I do motivational speaking for, you know, schools, companies, kind of all around the nation. And the message is, when I speak, power of choice as well. And the idea is that if I spin finish speaking to you, or maybe you finish reading the book, is that you kind of think about your own lives and how we all have the power of choice to kind of choose to live the life that we want to live. So it's all about you know how do you find your own potential how do you you know wake up every morning and choose to live the best day that you can live how do you make it through unforeseen obstacles that come your way and the idea is the hope is that people kind of realize that they can do that with their own lives and they kind of rise up and make the choices to live the life that that they want to live
0: I love that and you did the uh, I'm going to talk to you about this on a personal level back and forth because you voiced the audiobook didn't you
1: you know, I did not. Um, oh, come on!
0: I like I, really. No, I, I,
1: I wanted to, but again, it was it was it was all happening during COVID, and there was
0: uh, I
1: was going to have to fly and quarantine, and then COVID kind of threw that threw a wrench in that. Um, so, unfortunately, I I did not. I, boy, I, I'm not uh, sure <laughs> if I can go back and do that. Potentially down the road, I I will do that.
0: Yeah, you can. It's 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 a it's okay. a challenging process. I it took me 2 days, 19 hours to do mine. And uh oh, it's wow. just, yeah, it's a challenging process. Uh because you when you're reading your own words, it's interesting. You just want to kind of want to ad lib. You start telling a story and they're stopping you and go, oh. "What are you doing?" That's not I go, "Oh, right. oh yeah, sorry about that." So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens. The other thing is, I'm jealous. You You were in the same room, and you got to meet all four living presidents. I remember once I was at a golf tournament, and Gerald Ford walked by me back in the day, and I go, oh, my God, I was like five feet from a president. But you're in the room with four of the living presidents. Tell Tell us about that and, you know, like what they say to you.
1: Oh, gosh. It was so surreal. So um, it was the opening of the President Bush Library down, um, George W. Bush, down in Dallas, Texas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had been friendly with President with George W. Bush a, a few times. He has a mountain bike ride that he invites wounded veterans on, yeah. so I've been on that ride. And, and we had kind of gotten to know each other. So he invited me to say the Pledge of Allegiance at the opening of his library down in wow. Dallas. So super honored. And I go, and I know all the presidents are going to be there. And I'm going up, so the Pledge of Allegiance kind of starts the event off. So I was kind of waiting like in the back to kind of go up on stage when it started. So this woman kind of puts me into this room and it's like this empty room. And I'm kind of standing there like, this is so strange, like this big event's about to start. And I'm like here by myself, all of a sudden from around the corner, there's like dozens of secret service, um, George W. Bush, um, um, Obama, President Obama, Jimmy Carter, Clinton, um, are all walking towards me with their spouses. Condoleezza Rice, and I'm like pressing myself back up against the wall. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, what am I <laughs> doing here? And President Bush sees me. He comes over, and he says, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. And he goes around, and he's like, and this is President Clinton. This is President Carter. I'm like, nice to meet you, Mr. President. Nice to meet, meet you, Mr. President. And I'm just oh, like, okay. oh, my gosh. Like, and all their wives, and then there's all this small talk. And then it was just crazy. I mean, it was it's one of the craziest moments of my life, and then the event starts. They all file up on stage. I file up and I say pledge of allegiance. They will kind of join in, and then I, I, it, it's done. I go back to my seat, and President Bush yells out, yells out "That a girl, Melissa!" And the like, guy gives me away. It was just like the whole day was just like, "Am I actually living? Am I actually doing this?" Um, but it was, it's, it's a great story. I'm very surreal and. Talk about patriotism and going home, just like exuding, you know, everything that I loved about this country.
0: Well, the proud patriot that you are, and uh, you represent the United States of America as well as anybody out there, Melissa. So, I, I, the the president should have been honored to be in your presence. Uh-huh. I, I, and if I was there, I would have told him that. <laughs> well, thank you. That's great. <laughs> So we all have age group athletes and professionals in triathlon, but I always say the age groupers, the heart and soul, and you know so many of them. And uh, it, it, it's tough keeping the schedule going and balancing the family life and trying to do triathlon. What advice would you give them to keep pushing and keep moving forward?
1: Um, you know, I think triathlon is a sport. Like, I think, and you, I'm sure you've heard this, like you go up to someone you say, hey, like I, I'm super involved in triathlons and some people just look at you like you're crazy. Like, oh, I can never do a triathlon. I think people <laughs> think you have to have, you know, the the best, the fastest bike and, you know, the best running shoes and the best, but you really don't. Like you can get out there with a bathing suit that you have. You can get on, you know, it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a road bike. It can be a, a mountain bike with a basket on it. Right. Depending on what race you're doing. And a lot of times like people just, you don't give yourselves enough credit on like just you don't have to train 40 hours a week to go out and do a sprint, di- sprint distance triathlon. The majority of us could just go to a triathlon this weekend and we're not, we're not going to win it, but we're going to finish it. And then you kind of get that self-motivation, that self-confidence, and then maybe you start training. So I think realizing that you don't, it doesn't have to take over your life if you want to go do a triathlon, like you can train when you can and then go see how you do. And if you want to get further into it, like find a coach, find a team, find a master swim team to, to, to swim Mm -hmm. with. Like eventually things will kind of fall into place, but it doesn't all have to happen. Like it doesn't all have to happen overnight. And then if you're, if you're a parent, if you got a full-time job and like, you just, you, you might have to get up early in the morning and get, get those runs in or, you know, on a Saturday morning, if you're, you know, you might need a, if you, there's a group that you go on a bike ride with, you know, you spend a few hours Saturday morning on that bike ride. So there are definitely sacrifices if you want to, Become competitive or do those longer races, but when you get to that finish line, um, honestly, it's 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 worth it.
0: Well, as they as they say, the more sacrifice you make, the more you can celebrate at that finish line, and and the more it becomes worthwhile. So you're correct about that. Hey, I just remembered something because I saw it the other day. I'm going to ask you, are you a better skier on one leg than you are, too, a snow skier? (laughs) My God, I saw you slashing through the. It's crazy. I wish I could have skied like that. No,
1: no. but, you know, I think I I love skiing and I ski on one leg and I have these little poles that kind of help me balance little skis on the end of them. The the feeling of flying down a mountain (laughs) on one leg, like with the wind in your face, I feel so free. I don't know. Like, I don't, I grew up skiing on two legs. I don't even remember what that felt like, but I, I love it. I, I love going fast. Um, I, I, I love it. I don't know. I, I love it. Yeah.
0: I, I can just imagine everybody on the slopes and here she comes all <laughs> five foot, whatever of you flying by they're going, wait a minute, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> yeah. That's got to be a great feeling. Well, the last question on find your finish line, Melissa comes out of the Baja 1000 racing, I've got friends that race the Baja down in uh, Mexico. And afterwards, it, tradition, they get together and sit around a table, and they call it table racing. They reminisce about the race, about the event, or any event. I call it tri-table racing. So reminisce with us of an event or something that happened at an event uh, that comes to mind right now.
1: Um, honestly, it's, it's it's Rio. I think the Rio Paralympics is always what's going to come to mind. And so it's Copacabana Beach, or September 11th, Team USA, uniform on. I swim, I bike, I run, and I'm in third place. And I know my teammates are in first and second place. I know fourth place is gaining in. I see my husband, Brian, on the sidelines. I'm like, I have like a mile and a half left of the run. Mm. And I mean, first, like my teammate was like about to finish and win. And my husband, I mean, he is so supportive and he's probably sweating and more nervous than I am. (laughs) And he's pacing back and forth along the race course. And he's like, you got this, babe. You can catch her. You can win. And I'm like, I'm not going to win. Where's fourth place? (laughs) Like, Like, where... Like, where's fourth? Like, just tell me where fourth is. But it was just one of those moments of just, like, how much he, like, believed in, even though first, like, I was a mile behind, right? But just trying to kind of keep up and keep that place, just not to let fourth catch me. And then coming down that carpet, my family and friends in the stands, um, it was, I mean, I I get chills when I think about it. It's, um, I I think about that moment often and just just how much it, it, it meant, you know, just to, it was just a day that I mean, it'll go it's just one of the greatest days of my life. Yeah.
0: That that is a beautiful reminisce. I I, I love it. You're gonna win, babe. Be- I win. Where's fourth place? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm not winning. I don't I'm good with that. Like where's fourth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Melissa Stockwell, I, I know sometimes it, you you don't wanna hear it all the time, but you are a true American hero. Uh, you are a Olympic medalist. You are an Ironman. You are a beautiful mother and wife, a partner, and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. So thank you very much for joining us. And I cannot wait to watch 2024 Paris and what you do there.
1: Thank you. And truly, thank you for having me on. You are a legend. You are such a legend in the sport and just really honored to chat with you today and just thanks for all that you've done and that you've added to so many people's lives. And I mean, your voice is one of the the most recognizable ones in, in the sport. So just thank you for being a part of that.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Melissa. Thank you very much. and Thank you everybody for tuning in to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. Remember, When you go through life or when you're racing, you're the cause of your own experiences. If you take that into account, you'll take responsibility for everything you do. And it will help you get to that finish line. Take care, everybody. My warmest aloha.